Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Gary, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Hope you all are in uh, having some cool weather down there like we are in Austin, finally. Absolutely. Uh, my question for you is, I had two uh, solar uh, attic fans installed on the roof. Okay. And I'm wondering if they installed them correctly because they're only about eight inches down from the ridge vent. And I'm thinking that during the summer, all that's doing is pulling the heat from the the outside and then back out through that fan. I would have thought that they would have installed a little further down the pitch to the roof. You you shouldn't even have insulation. a yeah. You shouldn't even have a ridge vent if you've got attic fans like that. Okay. Uh, it should well, we, be we just the fans, and that should be drawing the air from the soffit vents. Okay. Well, we had the ridge vent first, okay. and had somebody come out and do an inspection and say they could uh, drop the temperature with those attic fans by another maybe 10 or 15 degrees because it's getting to be close to uh, 145, 150 during the summer. Right. And yeah. In order, so in, the only, in order to do the that, reason. they would have had to close up the ridge vent because you're 100% correct what's happening right now is path of least resistance is the fan is drawing the air through the ridge vent instead of through the soffit yeah okay all right so one way i guess to fix that would be uh take some insulation and plug up around the ridge vent at least three feet away out from that uh where the fan is would that help well, the ridge vent only has a, a gap up there of like two to four inches down on each side yeah. that have been cut. Right. That's all you got to fill is that little gap that's right in the peak. Right, yes. And that's, and that's it. Yeah, you don't have to go any okay. further than that. Okay. But as far as where that uh, uh, the, the peak is, but where that fan is, that's going to be drawing in. So I was thinking if I came straight up from where that fan is and uh, blocked that ridge vent maybe about three feet wide, does no, that you, make sense? No, you got to block the whole ridge vent. Oh, okay. Okay. So pretty much putting those fans in were, was just a waste of money. It was. Because okay. it, it, it's the, the ridge vents... Yeah, you, you you only have one exit, whether it's the ridge vent, the fan, air hawks, whatever you use, only one exit and air, you're, okay. because you're trying to draw the air in through the soffit vents. Yeah, okay. All right, you answered my question. Thank you very much. You bet. You take care. Bye-bye. Right. Yeah, you got you got to be careful because obviously the person who put the fans in didn't really care about doing the right job. Because he should have plugged it. Now, uh, if you want to plug it up, it really isn't that difficult to go up there and plug it. Because it's just a, a narrow strip that goes across there. And you can get, oh, even the uh, the black tape that they use 
uh, like around window installations and things like that. It comes in six and eight inch, nine inch wide rolls. It's a tar based material, sticks to anything. Even that can be rolled across there to plug up, and that would suffice. We're going to head to Conroe and Jerry. This is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. Got a question. If you got a house on blocks and you cut the subfloor out and do a little leveling, but you're going to put waterproof laminate back down over the top of two layers of, you know, subfloor and then a, another layer of uh, three-quarter OSB and then the vapor barrier for the the um, laminate floor. Mm-hmm. Is that going to do anything except rot the bottom subfloor? <laughs> well, it could do that. Um, but no, I mean, that is the way it would be put together. You, you would, you went through the, the floor and you went through the subfloor and you got down to basically your floor joist, did your leveling. So you'll have your subfloor, your secondary floor, and then your finished floor on top of that with a vapor barrier between your finished floor and your secondary floor, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Nope. Just so make sure that, you got good ventilation underneath that crawl space. Yeah, it's it's not very tall. Uh, maybe 16, 18 inches, maybe. Okay. In the middle. Around the edges, of course, it's not as tall, but um, it, it, uh, the leveler said, you know, you need... Uh, this X amount for ventilation to keep it dry, but uh, what I'm wondering is on top of the floor joist, they put uh, tar paper. And they, then they put that on top of the floor joist? On top of the floor joist and then put the first subfloor down as a vapor barrier. So we cut through that when we removed the subfloor to get to the floor joist. Right. And I've seen that done hundreds of times, but I've never, I've always went back and stapled another piece of, of felt paper on, on top of the floor joists and underneath the plywood. So, and, but I think. Uh, I got to be honest. I mean, I've done thousands, I've done thousands of homes and that's not the way I, I ever see it done. Hmm. The, and, the, it's a, and it's a house on blocks? Yep. You know, I'm in the foundation repair business. I, I understand that, and this is where, I, this is where I'm getting at. Cause I heard something similar on another show of yours about on beach houses where they would insulate underneath and it would rot the floor. Yeah. They would cover. So, the, in other words, they cover everything underneath the the uh, the exposed joists of the of the of the deck of the house, and it would. Uh, I'd heard on your show that it rotted some of that yep. wood. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm, I'm not going to live longer than it's going to take to rot it, but I, my <laughs> kids may want to go there. Oh, that's but, their uh, problem. Don't worry about them. Yeah. Well, that's kind of <laughs> what my dad said. Yeah. And that's the problem I'm facing. Well, but, is uh, this a house from like the, the uh, 40s, 50s, or earlier? It's probably 60s. Okay, because it was a it was a it was a cabin originally and it was added on to. 
Yeah, when you go back to some of the really old houses, and I'm talking 20s and 30s, uh, they did put felt paper down, and then uh, sometimes, not not normally, but sometimes they'd put the felt paper down, and then a single layer for the sub for the subfloor, and that was it. But then once they started going to the two layers for subfloor, that's when they started putting the the uh, felt paper between the two layers. Oh, between the two layers. Yes. Okay. Because I'm fixing to cover, recover the the first subfloor because uh, part of it had tile on it, took the tile out, and are now down to that floor. And right. The uh, and it was the original floor in the cabin, so. It uh, it had I don't know what it's got on it as far as paper barrier, but would it be uh, okay just to cover it with a layer of another layer of plywood and then do the we want to put the laminate all over it the waterproof okay. laminate yeah uh, and uh, but you are you saying that the, the the vapor barrier underneath the laminate would be okay. It is your laminate. Your your, your laminate's going to be a vapor barrier as well. Uh, with the, the, you know, here's I'll tell you what. I'm going to take a quick break because I got new, news, traffic, and weather. Let me come back to you on this because there are some things you need to be aware of before you before you start doing this. I was talking with Jerry in Conroe, and uh, Jerry's redoing a, a floor and subfloor and stuff. And you know, Jerry, the the whole purpose of those barriers. Are really just keep the moisture from causing the wood rot and stuff so depending on what you're putting in for floors it can cause issues with the flooring as well uh, because I'll use felt paper as an example felt paper won't let water come through but it does breathe and let vapors come through and so if you put the wrong type of flooring down on top of it and you let the high humidity build up underneath it, it can still warp the floor. And so that's really what you're trying to avoid, though, is those type of situations. And you're doing that already with the type of flooring you're talking about putting in. Uh, the issue you're going to have to watch is that you don't build something that's going to allow the subfloor itself to rot. Uh, so... When you're talking about putting in that moisture-resistant floor, it's going to have a barrier underneath that floor. So your other uh, vapor barrier that you've got, it can go either where it was on top of the floor joist or between the two layers. It doesn't matter. Did you take all the, the floors out or just in certain areas? No, just, just a section where it had a hump in the floor. Okay. And... and, and what uh, where it, it met the old house there's a like a dip so we took out a corner and we uh, spanned with a uh, a beam across uh, yep this this section. but uh, well then the, I would go back exactly since you, yeah. yeah I would go back then the same way as it was before since you did an isolated area that way. Uh, and keep everything matching each other. Yeah, because it, it kind of makes it, it kind of makes me wonder when you have a 
a waterproof laminate, and then you have a vapor barrier under it. Yep. Uh, it's it's kind of like, <laughs> like double dipping, you know. It to is. Me, it's uh, and then you have two layers of, of plywood, and 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 uh, and that's what I'm thinking. Do I just leave out that section of of that tar paper that was cut out of that? area or just no do I, do I put go back put it with? put it back in to match what what's in the rest of it okay that's what i was that was my question but yeah do I and the waterproof the waterproof flooring you're putting in are you putting in like a linoleum or are you putting in one of the strip type floors right it, it's a, a laminate waterproof laminate okay so now, i think it's i think it's 20 millimeter thick so yeah pretty thick floor yep Okay. That's that's how I would put it back. I'd go back exactly as it was. Yeah, because we had we had laminate before over it, but it wasn't a waterproof laminate. Yeah. And and it had a uh uh you know, a plastic uh, vapor barrier under it and uh that we tore out when we tore out the floor. But uh, Right. I was just, I was just really concerned about did I need to go back with the felt paper under the the sparse subfloor, and how big of a problem if we didn't do that would it be? Would it would it just instantly rot, or would it just? No, it'd be a slow process over time. What are your subfloors made out of? Uh, three quarter plywood. Okay, One, it'd be... the first layer is plywood. The second layer is OSB, three-quarter OSB. Okay. It'd be a very, very slow process. Uh, but I, I personally would go back with it the same way as it was and, and be done with it that way. Okay. That's what I'll do. All righty. You take care, Jerry. Thank you. Joe, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you for taking my call, Jim. You bet. I got a couple of small, quick questions. Um, I, have a, I have a one one-story brick house, I replaced all my fascia boards with number two pine and a solvent with a, with a hardy. Okay. Uh, my, my first question is, uh, which is already primed as a hardy, anyway. Uh, should I paint the fascia board with the oil-based paint for going with a water-based paint? You know, on the exterior that way, you can do a water-based paint and it holds up just fine. Just make sure you prime that bare wood first. That's what I was talking about. Should I prime it with an oil-based paint before painting with a water-based paint? No. Paint, uh, paint with the water base. Prime it with a water-based paint. Yep. Yep. Same okay. same as you're going to use for the finished paint. Okay. Uh, one other quick question. Mm-hmm. On patios, I've had a couple of patios done over the years. They always want, on the rebar. They always want to drill into the foundation to put the rebar in. They say they'll because the house will, the patio will sink with the house. Right. Should, should I? I'm gonna have some more work done. Should I have that done? I mean, should I allow them to drill into the foundation? You know, it doesn't hurt anything. Uh, th- there's two school of thoughts on it, though. One is that holds the two together so that they stay at the same height all the time. Uh, the other school of thought is to uh, leave them independent so that the one doesn't drag the other one down. Uh, the only issue that you really have to worry about when it's just four inches of concrete, if it does start moving, 
it's able to break the concrete. And you, you'll see that, especially on driveways and stuff on the approach sometimes. Yes, uh, but as far as the foundation is concerned, it's not going to hurt the foundation because that's, that's heavier concrete anyways, you know, thicker. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. You bet. You take care. Victoria, how are you today? Well, I'm not doing too well, and I need all the help I can get. Okay. I, I um, live in Irving, and they're doing street repair, water, uh, sewer line replacement. They came out to uh, change the water meter. Uh-huh. And when they did that, um, it backed up into my house. I got um, brown water with sand and black specks in it. I want to know if my water heater is contaminated and do I need to replace it? And who's to pay for it, them or me? That you'd have to take up with the city. I will tell you most municipalities have a an exemption from being responsible for stuff like that, but that doesn't uh, keep them from taking care of it. Uh, the other side of it is they may have had a contractor doing it, and that contractor uh-huh. may be the one who's responsible, not necessarily the city itself. So it's going to depend on the contracts that the city and, and who was actually doing the work. Um, okay, I, now, I as far as is, is did it contaminate your uh, water heater? Uh, I think what you're probably seeing is debris and stuff that broke loose in the pipes and has allowed it to run through the water systems. Because the water system shouldn't have been able to back up into your house. It should have been just that they broke stuff loose that is now flowing through their pipes. And if you ever looked at water pipes on the inside, uh, quite frankly, you would never drink water uh, out of a spigot. Uh, It just builds up nasty stuff over the years. Uh, So I very seriously doubt that it has done any damage to the water heater itself. You can uh, try flushing the water heater. But um, I, I probably w- wouldn't lose any sleep over it. Now, I would turn the water on and, and you know, flush all my lines out and all that stuff after they finish for the day. Because well, as long I... as they're working on it, it's going to be a, a reoccurring thing probably. Oh, my goodness. I'm afraid to drink the water. Don't. How do I wash clothes and, and, and well, dishes? And... That, that's a lot different than drinking the water. Uh, you can still wash clothes and, and you know, things like that. But uh, you, if, if it's what I'm thinking it is, where it's just broken stuff loose in the lines, turn the water on and flush the lines out, and it should turn clear again. Okay, I got sand in the bathtub. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Um, and that's honestly, that's not all that uncommon. So does that mean I got sand in my water heater? Probably so. Well, see, so how am I going to drink water? You drink water out of the water heater? Yeah, but yeah, no, but when the water comes in, what I'm saying is. Well, what I, but what I'm trying to tell you is you've got that all the time anyways. You just got a big burst oh. of it because they broke it loose. And I would run the water heater and flush the water out. But that that stuff's going to settle in the bottom of the water heater, and you're not ever going to have an issue with that coming through your line. So just, just run the water until it's good and clear, and then you'll be good to go again. Before I go back into the calls, real quick on the water. I drink tons 
of water. I drink more water than I do anything else. I don't drink coffee. I drink very, very little sodas or anything like that. And by very little, I mean like one every couple weeks, not not even every week. Um, I do drink some juices, so I drink a lot of water. Uh, in my personal home, I have a filtration system, water softener, and for the drinking water, reverse osmosis. I know what the water looks like, and I don't drink it straight out of the tap. And, uh, you know, getting some sand and things like that through the water is very common. You know, you, you, you're typically not seeing enough of it that it catches your attention, but it's always there. When they work on the lines, on the pipes, it breaks stuff loose that's built up on the sides of the pipes and lets that run through. And that's typically what we're seeing when we, we start getting a lot of stuff in the water. When they do it right there on your meter, you're going to get a lot more of it than when they do it down the line somewhere because there's other places where it has gone besides your place when it's further down the line. But it is normal for that to happen. But I do highly recommend to almost everybody, at the very least, filter systems and reverse osmosis for drinking water. But for most people... A uh, water softener does a world of good. Going to Weatherford. Richard, how can I help you? Uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a water heater that's uh, approximately 10 years old. It seems to be working just fine, and I'm curious as to whether or not it is time for a replacement before something goes seriously bad. No. You know, the, typically right. water heaters, you can get, you know, 15, 20 years out of them with no problem. Uh, does it have okay. a Does it have a, a pan under it so if it starts leaking, it catches the water? Yes, but the pan no. is shallow, and there's no exit from the pan to the right. outside of the house. The only thing I would tell, well, there needs to be an exit to, to take the water outside, and they make a sensor that you can put in that pan that uh, can shut the water off to the water heater the minute water starts going into that pan and that you know that gives you time then to get it out and get another one in without doing damage from brenda and she says pigtail she says what is pigtailing wiring and should i be aware of when hiring an electrician to perform the work can anyone perform the work who claims to know about electricity I'm being told every outlet inside and outside and attic must be changed from aluminum to copper via pigtailing. Is there another solution to pigtailing? What is the average cost? Can you recommend someone thinks? Well, Brenda, what pigtailing is, if you have aluminum wiring, is they come in and hook on copper wiring on the end of the aluminum wiring so that you can use whatever outlet you want to use as far as uh, getting a standard plug-in, standard light switch. However, you don't have to make that switch. They make cop or they make aluminum uh, outlets as well. Yes, you'll, you'll spend just a little bit more on them and you do have to hunt down to have the right one, but the box stores still carry them. Uh, so, 
pigtailing is not a 100% necessity to be done. I personally have aluminum wiring in my home. I did not pigtail. I just buy the plugs and switches and things for aluminum wiring and go that route. Now, the issue with aluminum wiring, aluminum wiring got a really bad rap years ago because when they started using it, they didn't totally use it right. And it aluminum expands and contracts with the temperature change from the electricity going through it. And it would loosen up the fittings. Well, by the time they figured out what was going on, it had such a bad rap that they quit using it completely. But you know, when the when they're using high voltage wires, when they're using, uh, well, a lot of the overhead lines, the your even your feed coming into your house, a lot of times that's still done with aluminum because it conducts electricity better than the copper does. But in the home, they've gone to all copper wiring simply because of of what happened in the 70s when they first started using the lightweight aluminum. Cautionary things with aluminum wiring, you bend it back and forth a few times, it's it can break inside. It, it just snaps in two. So it does have some limitations and downsides. But let's face it, we're not typically bending the wire back and forth in the home. So do you have to change it out? No. You can get proper connections for aluminum wiring as far as light switches and plug-ins. Now, your light fixture itself, there really isn't anything that's available that is aluminum friendly. And so in those situations, yeah, you can take a look at uh, making the switch. Otherwise, uh, when you use the wire nut to hook the aluminum and copper wires together, and this goes for pigtailing as well, they make a special grease to keep everything from oxidizing. And again, you can get this at your local box store or, or hardware store. Uh, and you just squeeze it on there, and basically it keeps the dissimilar metals, the aluminum and the copper, from oxidizing each other and burning through. So, uh, you know, it's not a, a total fix just to go with pigtailing. Um, there are certain fixtures that, yes, you probably want to take a look at doing it, but in general, you're fine if you just put in the right outlets. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Pat in Richmond, how are you today? Fine. I'm nice. I, I wanted to ask you what you think about a tower shower. I'm thinking uh, about putting one in my bathroom by converting a closet that faces onto a bathtub and shower. Okay. I, I went on a cruise, and they were wonderful. <laughs> well, I have actually installed a couple of them, and, you know, they're they're wonderful to use. You, the only thing you really have to be prepared for is uh, it uses a lot of hot water rapidly. So if you're still on a tank-type water heater... It's not going to keep up. You're going to want to put in a, a tankless style water heater just so that you've got an endless supply of hot water. Uh, and, and when I say it's not going to keep up, it just drains it so fast 
that you're not ready to get out yet when you're running out of hot water. <laughs> yeah, that would happen. Yep. So, you know, as long as you uh, don't mind changing to a tankless, which I love tankless water heaters. I mean, I've switched my house over to it already. Uh, they are actually wonderful uh, showers, and, you know, they're they're great for... Uh, putting out some steam as well to to help clear sinuses and everything so no they they really are nice and they is there anything special you have to do to get them installed uh no not really i mean you just have to have a, a good water supply that's it okay and these do you recommend any particular brands no, because uh, several of the different brands have uh, different styles of them to choose from. So it's really just going to depend on what you're looking for. And that's something that you'll sit down with uh, your plumber to go over or with somebody in a plumbing showroom. I, I will say this is not something you're going to pick up at the box stores. You'll need to go to a plumbing supply store to get it in, in, okay. order, to get a, in order to get a decent one. Okay, uh, can you give me an estimate on what it would run to go ahead and convert a closet into that shower? Uh, how close is the plumbing? Because you, uh, you sent me an email. The, pl is this, the plumbing is right adjacent to the shower, correct? Right. So your hot and cold water should be right there. It should be easy to hook up a drain line. It's really going to be a matter of just the, the shower base, building the walls, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, by time you put in the shower head and uh, you know the the shower wall and all that stuff, you are probably going to be six thousand something in that range. Oh, that's great. Okay, thank you very much, Shanice. I think that's going to be my Christmas present. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, you have a Merry Christmas then. The same to you. And you, and you know what? You just got the first Merry Christmas of the year. Let's head to Fort Worth. And Michael, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. I appreciate you taking my call. You bet. Uh, my question is on flooring. So my home, when I built my home in 2010, I didn't know any better. I, mean, I just, well, I didn't have the money either back then. Uh, but I put carpet all on the bottom floors. Now I'm wishing I would have done something different. Um, my home is valued at about 550000 Um But so I'm, I'm undecided on stained, doing some type of stained concrete uh, or hardwood floors. But also someone told me not to sleep on laminate flooring. Any thoughts on either one of those pros, cons? What's your recommendation? Not to sleep on laminate flooring? Why is that? Well, not to sleep, meaning um, not to rule out laminate Oh, okay, flooring. okay. Uh, I would not go with the stained concrete. Uh, okay. The price range of the house that you're talking about, uh, let me tell you, it's really going to limit the buyers if you do decide to sell. Um, go with a wood floor. Laminates look great. Uh, and you got a, a lot of engineered wood floors that really look good nowadays. I would stick with something like that because it's more mainstream 
and should you go to sell makes it a lot easier and if you go with a stained concrete you don't know how much cleanup you're going to have to do to get that floor ready to make it look decent it's just a lot easier to go with something that goes over it gotcha okay all right that kind of hurts my heart because i really wanted stained concrete or something like that but are you uh, selling no i don't um i don't plan on selling at least no i don't plan on selling at all now i tell you if you're not going to sell and you like the that that look on the concrete give uh dalworth a call uh, they got mm-hmm. a, a team over there that just does amazing with uh, polished concrete and stained concrete and things like that. Gotcha. Okay, well, hey, great. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. You take care. This came in uh, a few hours ago from Renee. She says, we're getting ready to install a small in-ground pool and spa in an inner-city Houston backyard. For pool heater options, the installation company suggested we stay with a gas heater, but gave no good reason for it. We like the idea of no cost, no maintenance, and reliable equipment heating, but wonder if we should combine gas and solar since there will be a spa as well. Or pick only one type. Your insight is appreciated, Renee. Well, Uh, Honestly, if you are going to have a spa and you want to be able to fire it up and use that spa quickly, gas is definitely the way to go. Solar would be a long, slow heat up for the swimming pool, but not going to be very reliable for heating up the spa, especially after dark. So that's going to be the main reason for going with the gas. Um now you asked about whether to use a combination of solar and gas and yeah you actually could do that because like i said the gas then or the solar can be used for just maintaining heat in the swimming pool itself but when you get ready to use the spa you fire up the gas heater and i will tell you i had a spa at the end of a swimming pool with a gas heater and i could heat that spa in 15 minutes all the way uh, so the gas heaters do amazing for that. Uh, I could heat my whole swimming pool, but it would take like half a day to a full day to get the temperatures up uh, where I was comfortable with it. And I like my swimming pools warm, unlike a lot of people who like them cool. So uh, for me, the the natural gas is definitely the way to go. Uh, and a lot less maintenance uh, to, to mess with. I mean... The solar isn't going to have a huge amount of maintenance either, but it's just not going to truthfully get the job done uh, as well as you need it for a swimming pool. And that that's really, I think, probably where your pool guy's coming from as well. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.